Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives, or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. I just want to remind my audience members here in California that Superior Court judges, the judges that sit as juvenile dependency judges in your cases, are subject to election and or re-election. So if there are judges that you are not happy with, it is time to organize with me so that we can vote in the right type of person who is family-oriented and perhaps not social worker-oriented. Today we're going to be talking about medical marijuana and some other things. In California, in the November 2016 election, uh, and I hope I'm not saying this incorrectly, I believe that marijuana is now um, somewhat legalized in the state of California. Uh, Before that, medical marijuana was uh, legalized in the state of California. And I've come across many calls, several cases that we have, where people um, have uh, either lost their children or where CPS has been um, uh, involved in their lives because of the use of medical marijuana. Now, marijuana is no longer on a state list of illegal drugs. And I believe that it is going to be policed, at least by CPS, the same that alcohol is policed. If you have a case in California and you're being alleged to be an alcoholic such that you cannot care for your children, CPS believes that they have the right to get involved. And depending on the allegations, that may be an accurate assessment. Marijuana now, I think, is going to fall in that class. Just the simple use of marijuana is not going to be enough for DCFS and CPS social workers to get involved. They're going to have to show that the use or abuse of the drug is such that you cannot care for your children. There's a recent case, uh, appellate case in California, that even says that um, just because you've used an illegal substance and tested positive, that alone is not sufficient for you to lose your children. Um, And it's something that I think a lot of attorneys who practice within the juvenile court have been arguing for years. And that is, just because you used an illegal substance on one occasion doesn't mean that you can't take care of your children on a full-time basis. And there are a lot of reasons for that. There's the concept of, quote, the functioning addict, unquote. There's also the concept of, you know, I went to a party and I, you know, did a drug on that one occasion um, and I've never used before or since. And a lot of the times I get the impression that 
social workers believe that if you have a one-time occurrence that it's an absolute uh, standard, use a drug, lose your children. Use an illegal drug, lose your children. And that's actually not the law in California. So if you're facing allegations with respect to uh, drug abuse or drug use by a DCFS or CPS social worker, um, you know, call a competent attorney, call us, we give free consultations, and uh, you can reach us at 888-888-6582, and we can give you a free consultation um, with respect to that issue. Now, I want to share a couple of stories that happened this week um, in our office, particularly with me, um, in representing people in CPS and DCFS related cases. Uh, the first one I want to share is um, we had a case in Riverside County. Riverside has, I believe, three juvenile courts. One in the city of Riverside, which is on County Farm Road. There's two juvenile dependency courtrooms there. There's a courtroom in Indio in the Palm Springs area, and there's a court in Marietta uh, in the Temecula area. Actually, I think there are two juvenile dependency courts in the Marietta courthouse now. Um, the number of cases that Riverside is filing is increasing. And it remains my contention that um, in many cases, uh, county social workers file cases because of um, and financial reasons. The counties themselves make lots of money uh, from the federal government when they um, file these cases and provide these services to uh, parents. But anyway, in the case in Riverside, what had happened was uh, a child, actually children were removed from parents and uh, we ended up re representing uh, the father uh, in the case. We eventually, um, you know, got his uh, child back to him, his children back to him. Um, but the way the case went down was, um, you know, very shaky. And uh, there were probably many comments written by the social workers uh, in the reports that were not true or exaggerated. Uh, we ended up getting the children back. The case was closed out, and um, subsequently, uh, the father came back to us uh, asking us uh, to pursue a lawsuit against the social worker in Indio and uh, Riverside County. In review of the case for you know, purposes of uh, civil rights actions against social workers, um, the case had a, a several challenges, and I won't get into the details, but um, just because you believe that a social worker has done you wrong doesn't mean that you can sue and win. You can always sue. doesn't necessarily mean that you win. Um, but to my surprise, um, we were um, coming up on the trial date in federal court, and uh, this week uh, the Attorneys for the social workers uh, in the county of Riverside uh, made us an offer to settle the case, to resolve the case, which my client accepted, which our client accepted. Uh, one of the attorneys that works on these matters with me in my office is an attorney 
an attorney named Daniel Sharp, a very sharp, forget, you know, excuse the pun, but a very intelligent attorney. Uh, and he does very well. And he knows a lot about the civil rights cases against social workers. Um, and they, the client and uh, Dan decided to accept the offer of settlement. Uh, I personally called the client last night, excuse me, night last night, yesterday morning, as I was driving, I called him and uh, hadn't talked to him in a while, and I just wanted to make sure that he wanted to accept that settlement, and um, he said that he did, and that he wanted the, you know, sure money in the bank, and therefore another case closed um, against the social workers and a county for violation of a parent's uh, civil rights. The next case I want to share with you that I was involved in yesterday, personally, um, I actually did a trial on a uh, what's called a 388 petition. And um, I want to share with you, there is some success in this, and there are some failures in this. And I want to share with all of my listeners uh, a very important po a point that I want to make about juvenile dependency cases. In this case, the mother has five children. She lost her children at the disposition hearing. Luckily, the children were placed with her mother, the maternal grandmother, and um, she, the mother was offered family reunification services. And I believe the six-month review hearing pursuant to 366.21e is scheduled sometime in late February. Um, so the client had done uh, quite a bit, quite a bit of uh, reunification services, and so we filed a 388 petition. And the petition, the petition was granted by the judge. And it's a new judge um, in this particular department in the Monterey Park Courthouse. To make a long story short, the social workers um, were recommending that the mother now have um, unmonitored overnight visitation. But it was going to be on a limited basis. It was going to be three nights a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights. Well, <clears throat> the mother was not satisfied with that, and she wanted to go forward, and she wanted the children back right then and there. Then the social worker's attorney made an offer to me that the social worker would agree to the mother having four nights a week visitation, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturdays. The client against my recommendation, um, declined that settlement offer. We went to trial and evidence came out um, that was not favorable to my client. And I actually thought that so the judge wasn't going to award the three overnight visits that the social worker was still recommending. Luckily, the judge did. But the moral of the story was the social worker was actually offering 
an additional fourth night of overnight weekend overnight visits. So my client would have the children four out of the seven days in the week. And my client declined to accept that. I had advised my client to accept that offer because I had informed my client that I could file another 388 petition within, let's say, a week to two weeks. That offer was declined. So this is my point. Sometimes when you're in juvenile dependency court and you have an attorney and the attorney is recommending a certain type of resolution or settlement in the case, you should always seriously consider that settlement. Juvenile court in a court of law is not the, pl not the place to make a statement, a political statement or a personal statement. It is a court of law and a lot of times or many times these people do not care whether you believe you're right or wrong. They're there to do what they think is best and what their job is. And that's not always going to be the same thing that you and your attorney think. So if you have an offer of settlement for someone, always consider it. Always give it you know, some consideration because you can leave the courthouse with less than what you could have left in a settlement. So right now I'm going to take our first call. Um, it's from area code 562, ending in 17. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hi, can you hear me? Loud Hello. and clear, sir. Did you Great. Hello. Great. Did you uh, want to did you want to share a story share. or ask a question? Yeah. I just want to well, it's kind of like this has been an ongoing thing. It's been going on for Oh my gosh, going for 19 months. I've been in social services and I have three beautiful children, a beautiful wife. Unfortunately, at the very beginning of my case, um, I didn't have any funds and didn't think about smart getting an attorney. And so I've been in a holding pattern. It seems like my six month hearing went by, my 12 month hearing went by, my 18 month hearing went by, my visitations have gone so sour. My Indian rights, my uh, Native American Indian rights have been uh, been not utilized. Um, and what's really happening, every promise we make, every step of the way we go, um, it just seems like it gets worse and worse. And it's to the point where there's so much atrocities of, of lies. It's just they build lies upon lies upon lies. And you never get a chance to do your hearing or do a trial you're suddenly faced with documents close to 600 pages, 700 pages of lies. They're just reports. They build on reports of reports. I mean, it got so bad. There's, there's seeing stupid things. You know, it's like uh, me and my wife. You've been trying to rebuild a relationship, trying to make it strong, and they do every effort. They factory. They just point blank and say, "We want you guys to get a divorce," and it's wrong. It's wrong what they're doing. I mean, social services, from my experience, and seeing all the other families, we go there very rigorously and wait for hours upon hours upon hours, at least 19 times to the court for something that doesn't take place. And we meet a lot of couples there, and it's 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 really bad how they take advantage of them. And then the most attorneys are public defenders. They shuttle them in and out. And uh, even the public attorneys are bad. I mean, uh, we have one case scenario where with my wife, her attorney was so bad that she put something in there, stipulated the conditions that 
my wife Denver came up with never agreed to, and now we have the public defender working against my wife, working against us, or against me, trying to take it away. And it's it's really it's just it, it's it, I don't know how else to explain it to you, but it's just like it never seems to end. And so I keep trying. I be very patient. I don't seem to um, um, uh, uh, try to fight it, but I try to do everything. But when I see something wrong, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, it is, it is like uh, uh, what my citation is, like you went to the bank and they charge you a, um, a payment for overdraft your account. But instead, they say, now you robbed the bank. You robbed the bank and you owe us a million dollars. I mean, that's how far-fetched this case has gotten. You know, we were called in because we had a little over overdraft protection. Now they say we robbed the bank. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a constant sticking my head between my legs. And I try to follow everything. And it's been the most frustrating thing because every time I go, nothing gets better for me. It's gotten worse. I mean, it's just... Um, I'm at the point where I still keep my sanity, but I have a lot of things in my life going on. And uh, this is one of them is very important, my kids and wife. And it's like, they put you in so crazy positions. I mean, I've even gone to the point where I created a home. I got beds in there. I got a new refrigerator in there. I got this whole home, put my wife in there. They still won't bring the kids over to uh, be with be with wife. And, and, and they keep trying to say, we're going to terminate. Well, they've terminated my daughter. Now they want to terminate the boys. And the boys want to come home, but the boys are scared because the boys are being told that your parents are bad. I mean, there's so much coaching, so much deception going on. The therapists are a joke. They're trying to do conjoint therapy. They never once done it. And then they never bring the family together to discuss anything. How do you know what's going on? I mean, I've just never seen where you have individual attorneys, individual therapists, and no one talks to each other. It's like you come there and 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 and, and stupid because the courts are overwhelmed. They the clerks make numerous mistakes, postponing, postponing, postponing. So, um, you know, it's it's really, 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 really bad, Vincent. And I've been trying my my best to keep you know saying about it. But to you listeners out there, you know, you you, you have to get an attorney and you have to get a good attorney. Follow his advice. Vincent's an excellent attorney, um, and uh, he's 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 the one that uh, will, will will help you in so many ways. But you need that first step there, and then you have to follow the cases and try to go with it. But you know, it takes a lot of forbearance and you know a lot of patience. And uh, but it's so careful. Do not say anything. Do not divulge anything. My biggest mistake at the very beginning is I divulge everything. I mean, I was trying to be honest, thinking that if you're honest with the system, they'll work with you. But no, uh, they, they won't. And the bad thing that works for me, I'm actually a minority in the system. Even though I'm a Lakota uh, Sioux, I'm a, actually a minority in the system because I don't look like a Lakota Sioux. It's my great-grandmother is where it comes from. But it's been the hardest thing for me to do. And in the process, I'm losing my wife, losing all three of my kids, and as I look down the road, I don't know. I mean, they, they tell me my, 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 my daughter's terminated. I can't get her back. And uh, she doesn't know what is going on. She's been so messed up anyway since day, day one. So this, is, this sounds bad. It sounds tragic. But, Vincent, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this story to your listeners out there that you need to really listen to a good attorney and, and hang in there. 
Well, thank you very much, sir, for your call, and thank you for sharing this with us. And um, All right, thank you. We will – thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, the next call that I'm going to take is from area code 818, ending in 85. Mm-hmm. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Hi, Vincent. This is Angie from Los Angeles, now Hi, Riverside Angie. County. Hi. Hi. Did you want to um, share a story or did you want to ask a question? I'll share a story. I'm going to share my story. Um, and um, the other caller, I feel, you know, I really feel for him. And it's so frustrating when all they do is lie and and the courts take the social workers' lies for for biblical gospel. And, it, you know, it's just where you go. I mean, my story is so crazy that I ended up writing a screenplay about it. Uh, it and it's so involved that I couldn't even hit the tip of the iceberg and still it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Um my story started when my daughter became a meth addict. Uh, my my older granddaughter was a year old. She started hanging out with these people. She moved into a house with these people. Um, one of these guys happened to be from Afghanistan, and um, he seemed like a real nice guy. <laughs> um, it, it, she had started hanging out with them and started doing meth with them. Come to find out later, they, uh, the guy, that one guy from Afghanistan, was also addicted to heroin. So he was a heroin and meth addict. Now my daughter was a meth addict. Go about six, seven years later, 2010, which seems to be a pinnacle year for uh, CPS abuse and Nancy Schaefer's death. Um, she gets involved with this guy. She's been involved with this guy, and now she's given birth to a second grandbaby, another another granddaughter. That baby came home with me to my home from the hospital because he was being so abusive in the hospital room. I raised my grandbaby for six months. My daughter came home with me, but then she got back on drugs. I, it was something was pretty foreseeable. The, the pregnancy was difficult for her to stay sober. Um, I didn't think it was going to be any issues. I had had CPS called on me on my older granddaughter because I had complained at her school uh, about uh, her resource teacher, and they turned around and called CPS because my older granddaughter had been having a really rough year, uh, especially with her mom coming back when she was pregnant. And she'd been hospitalized a few times, and she was on antipsychotic medication. I had taken her off antipsychotic medication because she was, she was so much worse. I tapered her off, called her doctor, and put her on fish oil. The school had called CPS to report that I had put my child on fish oil. That was that was the complaint. So I, I was dealing with them, but in the meantime, with my second grandbaby being born and me raising her, this was all, now they were all looking at that. Now I had gone into a meeting, they told me, you're doing a great job, we need more grandparents like you, just keep doing what you're doing. So everything was fine with that first, you know, those first calls that they were making, and they were just, 
it was the fish oil, and then I don't even know what else was there, but they had different referrals that they had to close out. So I had my grandbaby at home. The CPS came, took her, put her in foster care. I'm like, this is a mistake. This is, they said, no, you have referrals <clears throat> in Glendale. I said, no, those are closed out. No, they're not. Well, because they hadn't been closed out yet, because there was a backlog, they took my grandbaby put her in foster care. The judge seemed to be, and the, and the baby's attorney was also on our side because they knew what was going on. But the judges will listen to the social workers even over the babies or the Myers counsel. And I worked, I, I mean, she was in foster care for two months almost. She came back to me. She was drugged. I have video of her drugged. I mean, she was on some kind of, she had a, she's never been sick one day with me. And she came home. She was sick. She had a respiratory infection or something. She, I could hear her lungs rattling. And she was so obviously drugged. And this baby was four months old. Now, when I go back to court, as the paternal family, the, the brother of the biological father and his wife were now involved trying to become foster parents or trying to adopt my grandbaby. The problem is he had a felony conviction and it hadn't yet been expunged, although they were working on it. But the social workers had made a plan and they had an agenda that they were going to take this baby from me and give this baby to the brother, who is not a citizen, he, was, he is a permanent resident as far as I believe, <laughs> which is also very interesting given the fact that he has a felony conviction. His wife was here illegally from Mexico, but they were fighting to give my grandbaby to him. He had more money than me. Now, I could not figure out, it boggled my mind. I couldn't understand how I couldn't win this. I was a former foster parent, never been arrested never been in a mental institution, never been in a rehab. I had letters from her psychiatrist, her therapist, social workers, the founder of Grandparents as Parents, all saying that I was a hero, the best child advocate they'd ever worked with, that I was doing fantastic with these two children. These were all independent. These were the people who knew my granddaughter, my older granddaughter who was going through the really tough time because she was misdiagnosed as having bipolar disorder. Turned out she was on the autism spectrum. Completely different approach medically. I had to be the one to, to fight for the right diagnosis. And now, after she's been on all that antipsychotic medication, now this child is 15 years old, medication-free, and hasn't been hospitalized since 2010. Because I love her and I'm dedicated to her. But they ripped these two sisters apart while I fought and fought and couldn't find out, couldn't figure out why. Why would they be working so hard? The social workers went to such lengths. They lied. They perjured themselves. They made false reports. And that is not the worst of it. The worst of it, well, what I think is the worst of it, I'll never know really what it is. But what I know myself is they actually put dirt on my grandbaby. They dirtied her up. The social worker put dirt on her so she could bring her to her, so her supervisor and they could say, this child's hygiene is an issue. I was a former foster parent 
I'm not going to let a social worker pick up my granddaughter at 8 o'clock in the morning on an August day without going over her body and making sure it was squeaky clean. And it was when I handed that baby over at 8 o'clock in the morning. She was squeaky clean. I got a call an hour and a half later. There was supposedly going to be a visit. That was all a ruse. I got there. She said, yeah, we need to talk about her hygiene. I said, what? When I walked in, I could smell her. I could smell her feet were, her feet smelled. What in the world? How in an hour and a half did this squeaky clean baby all of a sudden have smelly feet and dirt on her neck, which when I looked at it was halfway on her car seat strap and halfway on her neck because she was still in her car seat. I don't even know if they ever took her out in an hour and a half. But when I looked, I said, you know what? And I, it didn't occur to me that they would have done this on purpose. I thought it must be a mistake. It must have fallen from the inside of her car or something because I remember I had a headliner that was dusty and uh, at one point in my life, so I knew that that could happen. I thought... Maybe it came from the headliner in her car. I mean, that's how dumb and naive I was. And I, sh I showed her and I said, look, it's halfway. This is not from me. This is not from her being dirty. Well, it didn't matter. She told me that day, she said, since I had gotten her back, since the judge had ordered her and actually even put in a do not remove order, she said, now I'm just going to have to do my job harder. That's what she said to me. And her job was to get that child for me and give that child to these people no matter what. Now, this is where it gets really crazy because I couldn't understand why. And I, I looked up the last name. I think what happened was uh, Bin Laden got uh, caught, and that, that was with the help of a doctor in Afghanistan. His last name happened to be the same last name as this family. And I thought that was interesting. And I asked, I had asked the biological father about another guy that I had read about with the same last name in Afghanistan that happened to be what they consider the founder of the Afghani heroin trade. I didn't know if they were really related. I didn't know how that all worked. You know, sometimes people have the same last name. Well, the biological father was, seemed to be very proud to say, yes, that's my grandfather. When I brought it up to the uncle who ended up adopting my grandbaby, he seemed very proud as well, but he downplayed it from being the grandfather and said, oh, this is a cousin. Well, turns out this guy who founded the Afghani heroin trade also became a CIA asset after 9-11, was let out of prison so that he could give permission for and transport weapons to help fight al-Qaeda because the same roots, they, they ran, this family runs the Khyber Pass, which I guess is the main route and where they trafficked their heroin through and where now they were, in, in after 9-11, after they were trafficking weapons. I couldn't believe it when I read this. And by this time, it was too late, whatever. I mean, it didn't matter because there was no way I was going to win this fight. This family is notorious and they helped freaking the United States fight Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. I had no idea, and it was crazy to me. But the fact of the matter is, is that CPS is an opportunistic animal. That's what they've become. 
they will find any reason to profit. And, if, and I sat there and I thought, I mean, this was so surreal to me that I thought, do you think it made a difference? Do you think this played, the fact that this is this family, do you think it might have played into how, why I didn't get my granddaughter? And people were like looking at me like, well, you'd be crazy if you thought it didn't. And, and it's like, wow. It's just wow. You know, I, I can't even believe that my, my daughter got involved with this guy, how she became so lucky to get hooked up with this guy, you know. And then and, and the, the cards are stacked against you. They will lie. And if you let them in your home, and if they have an opportunity to say they were somewhere, they, don't have to, they didn't bring pictures. They didn't supply pictures of my granddaughter dirty. They didn't have any pictures of anything they lied about. But they are trusted. And, you know, hopefully it's coming to a change with all these lawsuits. But that's what it takes. It takes the lawsuits. And I would really, I mean, Vincent, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe you disagree. But I think really at this point, the only way to, you know, to get anywhere with CPS is, no, cooperating, I've always thought the same thing, being honest and cooperating would be the best thing. No, it's not. You have to threaten them with a lawsuit because now, you know, show them. And if you go on Facebook, if you look up right to lie court case, you'll find an actual court case with these social workers, some of these social workers being defended by someone who is actually arguing that they have a constitutional right to lie, perhaps, you know? It's insane. You can look it up and you can show it to them. You can say, hey, you know, your number's all coming up here. This is the time you need to do the right thing because otherwise you're going to be going to court defending yourself. Look at all these social workers who are having to defend themselves. And I wish... I mean, I thought I stood up for myself. By the end of this, I was a different person. I've gone through six years of PTSD over this. And, you know, all I can say is that we need to do something. We need to be like the Native Americans at Standing Rock. Our people are so fractured and so damaged by the process that it's really hard to get us together. It's really hard to get us to focus. And we need representatives like you, Vincent, to stand up and say, we're not going to take this anymore. And that's all. I mean, I have I so much more that. to share, but I can't share any more. That's it for now. Okay. I appreciate you calling in. I have one question. Would you be willing to work with me to help organize people to organize the vote? The vote is very powerful at both the local, the state, and the national level and a lot of things can be changed by simply uh changing the laws would you be interested in doing that sure i'll be i'd be very happy to help you vincent you know any way i can i really? I, I just you know i have to say that i i'm, I'm so i mean it's going to take a lot i don't understand i mean they get around these laws if you look at if you look at all the laws that were in place for child welfare before ASPA, before 1997, you see like, okay, here's a law, and then a few years later, there's a law, okay, all right, these look like natural progressions. All of a sudden, you have 1997 with ASPA, and they pass this legislature, legislation that they get paid.
paid to be to adopt and they get bonuses and all of this stuff and all of a sudden now there's all this legislature going all these laws being added to fix the ones before to fix the ones after to clarify to do whatever but does it has it changed anything i don't know will it does that will it you know you you mentioned the the laws that were changed um pri well primarily by bill clinton um Mm -hmm. It was something that Hillary was involved with. And, yes, you know, very I'll much. To be honest, I was a Hillary. I was a. I was a Hillary supporter this year, but um, well, the Clintons changed the landscape significantly against uh, families. In my, uh, with that uh, late 1990s legislation, you know, because I I've been doing this for many years, and um, prior to that legislation. Um, in order for a family, a, a parent, to lose a child through adoption, it was significantly harder for them, for the social workers to do that. And um, they had to start a whole separate case called a, in California, it was called a 232 action under the civil code. But now in juvenile dependency court, after the laws change, they have the 366.26 hearing, and they just, you know, they terminate rights uh, very fast now in juvenile court. Yeah, um, especially law, for babies. That, those federal laws, yeah, and that federal law, in my opinion, significantly hurt families. Now, it was passed on the premise of protecting children. It was passed on the premise of giving children a permanent home yep. faster. Now, yep. now, because I was there when it passed, and I was there before it passed. You know what, yep. it, what really happened, in, in my opinion? The states and the federal government were paying out billions of dollars to foster parents and relatives to take care of children until they were 18 years of age. Okay, so if you had a yep. child that was three or four years old placed in your home, generally what would happen back in the old days is that the grandparent would keep the child until the child was 18. And the grandparent would be paid monthly by the state, by the federal government, by the county to take care of that child. Well, you have to pay attention to this very closely. Watch this. What happened was when Clinton changed the law, he did away with that, and now they convince people to adopt the three-year-old or the four-year-old baby early on or even older, and then this is what happens. They guarantee you the monthly payments to take care of the child after you adopt for two years. After that, you get nothing. So when you look back at the legislation, monetarily who is the who is this new legislation to protect kids and give them permanent homes faster who was it right. really helping it was it was helping the government because the government right. got got tired of making these welfare payments now i can't tell you how many people foster parents who adopted children came to me and said hey i got tricked the social worker tricked me 
the social worker said, after I adopted this child, I would be getting money every month until the child was 18 to 21 years of age. And after two years, after right. I adopted the child, they cut me they cut me off. And I said, well, you know, there was a document in, that you sign when you're going to be adopting a child. And it tells you that, you know, once you adopt this child, you're going to be financially responsible. And they all initial that line, and they all sign that agreement. Right. And I asked several of the foster parents who adopted children, I said, hey, you know, you signed this document. Didn't you see what this said? Many of the foster parents said, hey, I didn't even read it. But here's the interesting right. part. Some of them said, oh, I read that. And I specifically asked the social worker, I thought you told me I would be getting money until the child was 18. And the social worker says, yes, you will. Yes, you will. And that doesn't mean what it says. So go ahead and mm -hmm. sign it. They signed it. They signed it. And then they got tricked out of being yes. paid for these children until the child turned in. So this, in my opinion, and it's just my humble opinion, that legislation wasn't about protecting children. That's how they packaged it and put the ribbon around it and, and made everybody believe it. What it really was right. was to save money for the federal governments and the state governments and the counties. So we get you – And not the, only that, the child away from you. Don't they get bonuses the when, they, when they adopt the child out? I mean, so, they're, so the, the state or the county are getting bonuses that cover the amount that they're paying out anyway. I mean, this is, this is all a whole financial yes. – you know, it's like the whole country. It's all yes, based it on financial fraud at this point. There's a very well-known attorney down in San Diego County. He's very well-known because he sues social workers. His name is Sean McMillan. Sean posted a YouTube video about a deposition he took, and I believe it was the chief financial officer from Orange County. So you guys, can, everybody that's listening can Google this, find it, and watch it. This lady's deposition, <clears throat> Sean got her to explain how the social worker agencies make money by taking your children right. away from you. Right. Yeah, I'll say And that's again, the whole bottom line. Money. Well, you know, we live in America. Um, you know, we're a capitalistic mm -hmm. society. People think that governmental entities aren't about making a profit. And that's not true. In a prior career, I was a certified public accountant. I worked for a firm, an international firm called Deloitte Haskins and Sales, accounting firm. It's known as Deloitte now. But back then, one of the Los Angeles office's biggest clients was uh, Los Angeles County, the governmental entity of mm -hmm. Los Angeles County. And they use some unusual accounting. It's called governmental accounting. It's 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 legal. It's approved. But mm. the you know it was like any other private business entity. The the goal is not only to provide services to people, but it's also to make money. Right. So you have these governmental entities that you think you know. I guess people don't really think about it. They're not there to lose money. They're there to provide services to you and make money. And if we got to make money by providing services that you don't really need, well, 
God bless it, we're going to give you those services anyway. And in terms of DPSS, uh, yeah. DPFS yeah. and CPS, we're going to provide those services to you. Now, the interesting thing that I found, because I told you I've been doing this almost 30 years, is that counties now have adopted or are adopting the L.A. County model. You know, there were a lot of counties up north in these small counties in Northern California that 20 years ago, they weren't hardcore, we're going to take kids away from you. Today, they are hardcore, we're going to take yeah. kids away from you. And it's my personal belief, again, it's just my personal belief, that they're doing that because they make money from it. I, I can't find any other explanation. <laughs> And I and I no they yeah they, they make money they get promoted it's a whole it's a whole yeah. system that's infected it's a whole it's a whole it's like a frat party I I had a dream one night about the Monterey Park uh, courthouse and I didn't realize that's what I was dreaming about when I was dreaming it but I realized it the next day because it was on a hill <laughs> and it was a frat house and it was like it's like a big frat party you know and it's just like you know we're gonna it's what what's the word um oh my gosh you know when you just do things you know if it feels good do it hedonistic it's a hedonistic mm -hmm. it's a culture child welfare has become a culture of its own it's like you going to another country and there's a guy there's a supervisor there Vincent you probably know who he is I don't remember his name oh my gosh he's crazy but he came out to tell me that I was speaking a different language which I was because I didn't realize I was in a completely different culture that is, it has its own rules, its own laws, and it's not, you know, it's just not anything that we can even comprehend. If you haven't been in family court or dependency court and you think about what court is, it's completely different. Wouldn't you agree? That is absolutely, I would agree 100%. I want to wrap up this call because I, my board is backing up, but I do want to say one thing. Yeah. Go, go on Google or YouTube and find attorney Sean McMillan. He has a lot of good stuff out there. But look for the video of the Orange County social worker. I think it's the chief financial officer who explains how they make money on these cases. You're going to, be, you're going to watch that video, and you're going to, your mouth is going to just drop open. Because you thought they were yep. doing things to help people? I don't think so. Listen, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Call us next week and finish sharing your story. Okay. So we're going to take another call right now, try to get one more call in. It's uh, area code 909 ending in 03. Good morning. Yes. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Did you want to share a story or ask a question? Uh, good morning, Davis. Good morning. Yes. Did you want to tell a story or share a question or ask a question? Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to ask both. I wanted to go through both, but I really wanted to share my experience to all your listeners on my my CPS experience. My uh, my uh, very bad experience that I have with those people. 
just wanted to touch base with you as far as the uh, the incidents that happened back about three and a half years ago, three years ago. Was today? Today's three years ago that we got the kids back. My wife just reminded me this morning as soon as we got up. It's actually a big day for us. But yeah, um, our story, our story is very uneven. It's very uh, disturbing. It's very ugly. Um, long story short, my my wife uh, started protesting against CPS. Started going against them because of a family law case. They kept she kept making complaints for her uh, ex husband that was abusing one of my childs during visits, and uh, nothing was being done. Nothing was being done. She started going to board meetings. Started talking about supervisors um, for the CPS department, supervisors for the CPS department not doing their job. She gave them the LA Times, the ABC 7 News. She gave them all all those uh, high media channels and stuff. She gave them all that information. She was on a board meeting and gave those people information too. And she gave those people information too about our kids. But our case after that everything went bad for us when she gave our well, names. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me get let me get this straight. You're saying that your wife complained about CPS before they filed a case against you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She was uh um, Okay, continue. She she was making complaints against this uh CPS because they weren't doing their job. Then this kid go. We were actually uh, trying to get this man to get investigated because one of our childs was going to visit with him. She was coming back beaten. And just kind of this way out of the line stories of him doing drugs in the house, inside the room, abusing, abusing his girlfriend at the time. Etc. It's big. So they won't. They were still letting the kid go there. CPS won't do nothing. But um, so she started making complaints at board meetings, and after that, I think we pressed the wrong button because they came at full strength to my house. They came to my house. Wanting to interview all the kids. I had no idea of how CPS does their work. So we let those people come in our home, investigate our kids in our presence. And everything that was said to them was nothing but the truth. But they twisted the stories around. They twisted stories around something that the kids never said. And, um, Couple of days after that, after the first CPS visit, we went to a meeting. They made us go to a meeting, CPS meeting. And in that meeting, they uh, they were saying that they were going to remove our kids from us because of the of um of violence and um, negligence in the home and violence, which was not going on. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. 
you you were complaining your wife was complaining about CPS to media outlets and then they started a case against you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, keep going. She, keep going. She uh uh we went to the meeting because they pretty much forced us to go to the meeting. And I mean I'm a parent. I go to work every day. You know, I'm a I'm a low income parent that makes twenty five grand a year. You know, so all I do is go to work every day. I don't have nothing to hide. So well, let's go to this meeting. See what we, you know. And the other parent was going to be there, the abuser. So we're going to tell the CPS department that he's the one that abuses the our daughter that comes home and lets us know. Long story short, the meeting happened. We we're all going to go to counseling. We agreed to go to counseling, not just for ourselves, but for our children. We agreed. We agreed to their terms and their conditions. And um, I signed on the dotted line. Uh, I told them that uh, that I will go to counseling. It was 10 counseling meetings. You know, so after I signed the paperwork, they told us that they were going to remove our kids. I I told them that I was going home. I didn't want to hear that, and the, the meeting was over, and I wanted, and I was going to go home because I wasn't planning to come here and have them tell me that they were going to take my kids away. When I went to pick up my kids, because inside the Santa Fe Springs office, uh, they have a, a like a child care place where they take care of the children while the adults and the CPS personnel go on the meeting well in that when after the meeting was over when i went to go get my kids the lady told me oh you sign here for your kids you sign them in and you sign them out okay well when i when i was signing them out i was talking to my wife like this this is very very uneven this is this is not fair you know this is not fair the way they you know you went and made complaints about this person now they're going to take our kids away because we're bad parents, and they're going to give our kids to the person that's being the aggressor. And I was very, very mad, and I told my wife, I don't understand. There's other governments in other countries. My parents are from the country of Mexico, and these things don't happen in Mexico. That's all that I said. The person that had me sign out my kids, she ran and told Jennifer Lopez, one of the Big, one of the big uh, CPS personnel there at the Santa Fe Springs office. I think she's the president of there or something like that. She's up there though. She sent us when I left. I got to my home in Southgate. Before I got there, I already had CPS workers there, and they said that I that I said that I was going to um, Mexico. That I was going to leave to Mexico with my kids. When all I said is that there's other governments in Mexico, there's other governments in this in this world, Earth, that don't do things like this, especially Mexico, and that's where my parents come from. So what I said was one thing, and they said another. So they came at full They actually got to my house before me from Santa Fe Springs to Southgate. They got there before me, talking about to give give them my kids. I was I was scared. I was so scared, and I didn't know what to do, and I was 
they came and I told them that I wasn't going nowhere. That that was bogus. That I didn't say that. So they flipped my story around and I couldn't say nothing or nothing. And I told the TPS worker that I wasn't even giving my kids to him until at least there's a government agency here, the police department. Oh, well, he grabbed his phone. He called the police very fast. They came. And all he had in his hand was a vanilla folder, vanilla folder. And he never pulled out no paperwork from there, nothing. Well, I got schooled. I got schooled that day and they removed my, they removed my, my one-year-old daughter from me that day. And, um, and my teenagers, one teenager and, and an eight-year-old. Those were, those are my wife's kids with, um, with, which are my children too, but they're from a prior marriage. And from there, they took my kids and gave them to the aggressor. So the person that, had everything we made all the complaints about. They gave our kids to them. And my daughter, my biological daughter, went with the county. So I I felt so violent. I feel so violent to this day. To this day, I still ask myself that how can that happen? And that's that's when uh, that's when I called. That's when I called Mr. Davis to help me out. But um, I felt I feel very violated to this day. Um, nobody out there knows how these people work until it happens to you. Um, I I like to call them the three-headed monster because if you think you're good with one, you got two more coming after you. Um, I I try to um, let my family know and friends of how these things these people operate. Some of them believe me, some of them don't, you know. It's it, it, it's very hard to try to convince somebody that a government agency does things like this. And when this went to court, we we were going to court, and the only thing that they could say about me is that I had a prior suspended license. Because like I said, I'm a good parent. I'm a good parent. I go to work every day. I pay my taxes. You know, I, I do what I have to do. I, ch I come home, I change diapers, I make dinner. On the weekends, I make breakfast for my kids. I, I, I'm a good parent. I carry myself as a good parent. I know I am. And, and I actually, you received a phone call from uh, 909 there. This is, this is the reason why I moved out of L.A. County, because of these people. Because I don't never want to ever, ever go through this again. I got my kids back after the third day. I went after three days, the first court date, thanks to Mr. Davis and his professional team. You know, but I think if I would have hired another lawyer or did something else, I, I, I have no idea. And that's why I, me and my family are always going to thank you, Mr. Davis, for. Uh, helping us that stuff, helping us with that stuff, and just helping us bring our little family back together and, and go forward with life. Well, Whoever's out there listening now, just one more thing. Whoever's out there listening now, 
please please be aware of these nasty things that happen and that it's an unfair world out there as far as CPS and you as a parent you will do everything to protect your kids and please be careful with these uh with these monsters out there. And Okay. I wish I could say more. Thank you. I appreciate for calling in. We're running out of time on the show, but I appreciate you for calling in. Please listen next week and please call in and we can talk about the rest of your story because there's another part of your story that we have to talk about and that's what's going to be done to these people uh, in a civil rights case. So we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.